the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey guys, it's Bud Elliott. Welcome back to the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. This is our round the clock series with 24-7 sports and Man, I, I'm happy to be joined here by Brendan Sinone of Knowles 24-7. Brendan, what's going on, dude? Bud, how's it going? Man, I, I feel like like I'm more prepared for this show than I am, am for most of them. This is this is yeah. going to be a fun time. Yeah, a little, a little FSU uh, experts going back and forth. I like it. Oh, I don't want to call myself an expert. Uh, you, know, you know what? No, expert. I, I think you're probably an expert, yeah. I mean, I mean it, hopefully it, I'm getting like, paid to cover the team, so hopefully... <laughs> If you're not, we have some issues, but but he is, and you should definitely go subscribe to Knowles 24-7. Awesome time on the message boards over there. They, they drop a lot of great insider scoop, and honestly, the community and the camaraderie is is really fun. So let's put 15 minutes on the clock here like we do, and I'll just I'll hit you with it. How much can you take away from Mike Norvell's first year? Ooh, I feel like very little, uh, and I know you've discussed this before as well, but like, I don't think there's – the circumstances were so difficult he walks into. He gets three spring practices, and what that did in terms of evaluating what he had on the roster, I mean, that completely wiped it away. He really didn't have a chance to do it. Uh, injuries, not getting guys conditioning, not having the summer program as well. Like Guys were really out of shape, or at least some were. Some weren't. Uh, it was a mixed blend. I'm not being able to get some guys to rehab. So, And they just got hit with a ton of injuries too, which maybe that was related to not having a full off season. So uh, the evaluation process was kind of wiped away and they weren't able to really kind of find out some things until in the season. That was huge. Uh, like I said, the injuries to, to key players was, was pretty prominent as well. So yeah, but there, there were, uh, there were a ton of mishaps and, and just obstacles that, FSU had to kind of try to overcome under year one of Mike Norvell. I know you've called, called it year zero. I, I think that's really fair. It might be even year negative one, given the, the pandemic pandemic circumstances, to be honest. They they went ahead and if, I know from a recruiting standpoint, it, it was a challenge for them. They mm-hmm. hadn't had a chance to meet these kids in person, or at least the vast majority. I guess a couple got in in, in February, but like for the most part, they were kind of recruiting blind as you know, seeing these kids in person and meeting these kids in high school. But they went ahead and went really heavy in the transfer market. Which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, an anecdote that I'll share here is uh, John Papuch is the, the defensive ends coach. You know, FSU signed, I guess, technically three defensive ends, maybe f- four to five, depending if some guys become defensive end, defensive tackles uh, in the high school ranks. Uh, George Wilson was a four-star, Patrick Payton a four-star, Byron Turner a high-end three-star. Papuchas hadn't seen any of them in person. He's never evaluated one of those three guys in person, and all three are going to have a chance to crack the two deep as true freshmen with the expectation like, okay, they're talented and there's room to like play, but 
the, the position coach hasn't seen them in person before. And I'm sure that's not a unique situation at FSU. I think it's magnified because so many of the coaches on the staff uh, didn't have the geographic and regional ties uh, coming from Memphis or like JP came from, from Maryland. So there, there were, that is something that FSU probably was magnified a little bit. Uh, with that being said, the transfer portal ended up having to be a, a big deal with them for that reason. They, they had, I think, nine is where they're at right now, and they're they're trying to probably get one more transfer. All of the guys they've added so far have had like multiple years, at least one year of college starting experience, or at least a couple games. I think they've added about ten thousand career snaps total of college experience from that group. Uh, obviously, McKenzie Milton's the the headliner, but Jermaine Johnson from Georgia is someone who's going to step in at, at, at edge position role and and be a pass rusher that which they desperately needed need. They only had ten sacks last year. Jermaine Johnson, I think, had five himself as like a sub package player. Uh, beef up the secondary with a couple transfers there, two to three guys, Jimmy Robinson, uh, a former all-defensive uh, rookie of the year in the SEC at South Carolina comes in and will probably play a hybrid role for them. And and they're trying to amp up the offensive line currently too in the transfer portal, bud. So uh, it was absolutely necessary to, to overhaul the talent on the roster. I think that was a must, but the strategy to add guys who uh, had a lot of college experience. It makes sense given some of the limitations they had in the evaluation and recruiting process this past cycle. You know, we, we we talk about the teams that are adding the like the absolute superstars in the portal, right? Whether it's Ohio State getting a Justin Fields or you know Alabama getting Henry you know Toto or Oklahoma getting you know the the, the one A Morris and Eric Gray's. But th- there are some teams out there. I think Florida State is probably the prime example of are, are these guys that they're getting in the portal going to be draft picks? Majority of them, I would say no, but a couple of them potentially. But like you said, Brennan, 10,000 snaps is a really big deal at, at the Power 5 level. And uh, there were a couple of positions last year that looked like just didn't have guys that belonged at the Power 5 level. I, I think the – I'm going to use a cliche here, uh, raise the floor, elevate the floor a little bit, a, a football term. I think that's uh, – and I'm guilty of using that uh, phrase too much on the, on the Bench podcast. Uh, but – I think it's true for what FSU is trying to do right now. Yeah, I don't know. You know. Jermaine Johnson, I think, is an NFL caliber player. Whereabouts, like he goes in the draft, I don't know. But but he does look like someone who will play on Sundays or at least have the chance to. Um, you know, Jamie Robinson's a little undersized, but the yeah, athleticism and instincts and, and physicality are there to where in a couple of years, maybe. Uh, Andrew Parchman is a guy I know the staff thinks can play on Sundays, a wide receiver from Kansas. He has a lot to prove this year after after having a big drop-off uh, last year at Kansas, largely because of the uh, quarterback playoff. It's a line there was pretty horrendous, and that impacted him. But, yeah, there's there's three or four guys who they brought in who I think can help. But but for every guy they brought in who I think can help, like as far as uh, raising the, the upside and the, and the ceiling – of position groups, I think they brought in guys who can raise the floor as well. Sakir Thomas would be an example, like from South Carolina. He's played five years at South Carolina. He's never been dominant, but but he's had good experience all the way through. Does he have NFL tools? Probably not. He's kind of a tweener, defensive end, defensive tackle type. But he's mature. He's steady. He's dependable. You know what you're going to get. Uh, Brandon Moore from UCF. Uh, he's still overcoming the, the knee injury as a cornerback. That's difficult. Uh, but a guy who had had two years of starting experience for a really good group of five team. Does he start this year? I, I don't know, but but he at least will enter sub packages and contribute and bring a level of physicality and experience to the secondary. So so that's what this offseason to me, bud, was really all about, was, was trying to just get a core level of competency across the board. And I think they've accomplished that. I don't know if this is... Uh, uh, 
enough to fix everything overnight, but it kind of elevates like the baseline of, of how bad you'll be. And that's important because of what they're trying to do on the recruiting trail. You need some momentum right now. You need to show growth for the 2022 class. And it's something you've talked about before. Uh, and so that that's why it's important to, to establish a baseline of accountability, of credibility, of competency. So with, with, with all this new experience, new experience, kind of a you know, weird term there, but with, with all the incoming uh, existing experience, what, What's a reasonable expectation for this team this year? And and how do they get there? Reasonable, reasonable, reasonable. Um, so I think we well, let me ask you this. Do you think six wins is would be a sweet spot for them on the recruiting trail? Like that would be something that you can sell, right? Six wins being six and six going into a bowl game would be uh, improvement would be solid, would be a positive season. Would you agree with that? I mean, it, they'd be doubling their wins from last year. I, yeah. This was realistically, this was a three and nine level team last year. Right, mm-hmm. like, like the three games they didn't play were Virginia, Clemson, and Florida. Yeah, they were yeah. going to get smoked in two of those, and probably would have lost to Virginia as well, which would have made it three and nine. Right, so mm-hmm. yeah, if they double their win total, I think that combined with we know for a fact so many of these schools are only taking a couple high school kids this year. Florida State plans to go pretty heavy high school after going heavy portal. They could capitalize on a market inefficiency if they can get to six. Mm-hmm. How do they get there though? Because the schedule is yeah, not it, easy. The schedule is not easy. Uh, and I'm going to pull it up here real quick while we're talking. But uh, so I think six wins is the sweet spot of like what it has to be to sell this 2022 class, which, which again, well-documented uh, is pretty good. Uh, getting to six wins, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's necessarily even all that difficult. Is it, I think it's more unlikely than likely. Like I think they're probably like a five win team yeah. uh, is kind of what I think right now. So the key is going to be the early part of the season, but they open up against Notre Dame. Notre Dame does replace a lot on offense quarterback, Ian book, uh, three guys are drafted on the offensive line there. Uh, so that's going to be like, okay, maybe they're working out kinks. Maybe you kind of catch them sleeping a little bit. I, I still think Notre Dame is favored for a reason going into that game, but that's winnable. If you get some momentum, if you do something you haven't done since, what, 2016 and, and win a season opener, then all of a sudden, like, you look at that schedule and be like, okay, Jacksonville State, winnable. At Wake Forest, if you're beating Notre Dame, presumably you can probably hang with Wake Forest on the road. Same thing goes for Louisville at home, Syracuse at home, and, and then at UNC. I, I think that'd be a tough game, even though they beat UNC last year. So I think there's one, two, three, four, like, fairly winnable games in the top six before the bye week. Maybe let's say they get close to three there, and then they get UMass coming off the bye week. Let's say that's a win. So let's say they are at four conservatively. Well, then they have to be Clemson, NC State, Miami, Boston College, Florida. So you have to get two wins in that. That's where it gets tough, right? I think maybe at Boston College would be the most winnable of those, but I don't know. None of those seem necessarily super easy, and I think FSU might be underdogs in, in almost all those games. Which, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that is a pretty good illustration of, of the challenge. If, if they meet expectations, or if they, rather, if they exceed expectations, right? Like, hmm. the, the path to seven wins, in your mind, is that Mackenzie Milton? Just oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the variable in the wild card, I think, as much as any singular player. Him and Jermaine Johnson, I, I think both of those guys are, are pretty key. But quarterback touching the ball every single play of Mackenzie Milton is – even 80 to 90% of what he was in, in his final two years at UCF, I think the the steadying force that is for the entire offense to have that confidence in its quarterback, the last time this roster felt 
uh, inherently confident with its quarterback that it was going to make a special play or, or do something to to lead the unit and, and elevate people around him consistently was what probably 2014 Jameis Winston was the last time that they had that I'm not comparing the two uh, but but McKenzie Milton does have the potential to have that calming influence and make some special things happen if he's healthy uh, if he shakes the rust off from not playing in, in a year and a half and I think he's at the end of the spring, bud, like he showed some signs of it. He certainly ended the spring the last two practices much better than he started it and got comfortable. We'll see uh, what he does, you know, with the full off season now and how he kind of fits in with the rest of the team, the team dynamic in terms of like, does the offensive line get, add another guy to be a little bit more competent and help protect him, which is going to be essential. Do they have enough juice at wide receiver to really uh, take advantage of him putting them in good spots as an accurate passer? These are things that are very much so TBD, but I think without McKenzie Milton playing up to, again, that 80 to 90% threshold of what he was pre-injury, seven wins seems really hard for, I don't know how you achieve that, unless Jordan Travis just shows tremendous growth as a passer and, and stays healthy all season, and maybe that happens, but history would say that that's unlikely for him to make that big of a jump from first year as a starter to, to second year. He still has, still has a lot of room to grow as a passer, Jay Trav does. You know, speaking of Jordan Travis, last year, I think in part due to Blackman, probably in part to the offensive line too, they, they struggled in the drop back game. When they went to Jordan Travis, he looked at times like the most dynamic athlete they had on, on the field on offense, and it kind of erased some of the offensive line woes. What, what do you see his role uh, in this offense being? I think you have to play him a good deal. Uh, we've been trying to, like, we'll talk about this as staff at Knowles 24-7 a lot, like what, what that looks like. And it's hard to tell because – Norvell hasn't quite, to my knowledge, at least during his time at Memphis, had a had a player like Jordan Travis, like where he'll get the Wildcat going with running backs. We saw it with Jay Sean Corbin last year. He did it with like Patrick Taylor and Kenny Gainwell uh, while at Memphis and do short yardage stuff. But but someone who can be that gadget, like four, like three or four role type of thing. I don't know. I think that's what Jordan Travis could be, though. I think you do find packages like a series or two for him a game at quarterback because what he does to stress defenses out with his legs. And he legitimately has gotten better as a passer. He has shown growth from where he was two years ago, definitely even last year to the spring, uh, much, much better. He is moving in the right direction to where he can put pressure on defenses with his arm. But more importantly, like you said, bud, his legs, he's a dynamic athlete. I don't think you want to take a ton of snaps away though from Mackenzie Milton. If that's ultimately your guy, you don't want to get him out of a rhythm. So again, one series or so a game, for Jay Trav at quarterback, that makes sense. But remember early on last year against Miami, uh, they had a, a few different packages for Jordan Travis where he was in the slot and they moved him into running back. And it had some mixed results. Like they they moved down the field that first drive, kicked a field goal, and then they tried to do a reverse to him later on against uh, against Miami. I think it may have been in the second quarter and uh, it ended poorly with, with him getting hit and, and having a fumble or interception. I can't remember which. And and so you just have to be careful of like how often, how tricky you're getting. But you, you do have to get Jordan Travis on the field because he is that special type of athlete. Offensively, last year they really didn't have that many difference makers, certainly. Defensively, at least athletically, it, it looked like they did, but the results didn't yeah. match up. Um, if this defense, obviously, if they're going to get to a, back to a bowl game this year, the defense has to get better. In your mind, what are the most likely areas that, that will get better on the defense, aside from – Obviously, Jermaine Johnson, who looked immediately different, you know, as, as soon as he got there for spring. It is a strange thing. Like the defense was bottom half of the nation, or especially in the Power Five, in almost every single category. 
and especially like with the pass rush and pass defense, that was really bad. And then they ended up having Asante Samuel Jr. go in the second round, Joshua Kendo and uh, and Janaris Robinson, defensive ends, go in the fourth round. So some weird disconnect there. Uh, and I start kind of digging into some of the numbers, bud, where they were really, really bad last year, specifically situationally, was getting pass rush pressure on passing downs. Uh, and it's weird. It's like it, it just to me, it just showed that like they were as effective or ineffective getting to the quarterback on standard downs or you know likely run pass mix downs as they were on passing downs. And that's a time when a defense should be able to, to use a cliche here, pin its ears back and get to the quarterback and have more success when the quarterback's in a, a, a non-advantageous uh, situation. And they didn't do that. To me, that signified, and we could talk about whether it's scheme, guys put, being put in the right space or having comfort in the scheme, but if your pass rushers aren't winning one-on-one battles on passing situations, you're then forced to blitz. And FSU was awful when it blitz. I think it was one of the worst teams in the country in terms of pass rating allowed uh, when it did blitz. So you can't generate pressure with four, right? And you can't blitz successfully. What schematically can you do at that point? Uh, so that does kind of stick with the defensive line. We mentioned Jermaine Johnson. Like They have to get better there with the pass rush. I think he at least has more bend and, and juice off the edge as a pass rusher. Kier Thomas, I don't think, is super twitchy on the edge. You can kick him inside and, and pass, you know, pass passing down situations. I think that helps out a little bit. And then you're still like waiting for one more guy to step up there. I do think the secondary will be better. They had a lot of injuries last year. Hampson Nazardine was someone they missed for almost the entire season. Asante Samuel ends up leaving a couple games left in the season as the season kind of wore on uh they end up spending a ton of, of allocating a ton of scholarships in the secondary to try to upgrade those positions um so so at safety like jamie robinson i think he he gives you again a core level of competency brandon moore at the very least helps with with depth uh kevin knowles is a true freshman who came in the spring it looks like someone who will help as a rotational piece uh, and then you're just obviously hoping that, say, like a Travis J who returns or Jerry and Jones, who was dinged up last year, that, that those guys, in addition to like a steady Jarvis Brownlee, kind of uh, take the next step with with more experience. And they all had like decent flashes and actually showed some some signs late in the year, especially against Duke, like of, of being guys who can help you out. Uh, and then the linebacker group. But I don't know if if that's going to get markedly better. That's the one I think of any position group has to make a jump. Uh, because it was just so abysmal last year. They were playing a true freshman in Steven Dix far earlier than he was probably ready to, and they're hoping that that investment of reps helps out. Uh, we'll see. I think he he showed some signs in the spring, but they still lack this like overall athleticism and, and coverage ability at linebacker other than Amari Gaynor. Uh, we'll see if, if that's a position that they can get better. It's one that has to. I'm, I'm skeptical until I see it consistently on the field, though. So – our time has run out. I want to kick into overtime real quickly. You mentioned so many good names there who recruit Knicks would know. Obviously, subscribers of Nils 24-7 would know. And I know you've written about this a little bit, so I want to pick your brain on it. With how many teams on the schedule were on the spread? I mean, Louisville's a spread team. Syracuse is a spread team. Wake Forest is spread. Miami's running the spread. UNC is a wide open spread. Clemson is spread. Hell, Boston College now is, is basically mm-hmm. a spread, whereas under Steve Adazio, they were not. Florida, it, it, I mean, it's hard not to say Dan Mullen runs a spread offense. I forget who I'm at. NC State is a little more traditional, uh, I, I guess. But mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much everybody on your schedule is running a, a, a spread now. Uh, I know they, they played around with, with a little more of that you know, 5-DB defense last year towards the end of the season. You, you see that continuing? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think they're going full nickel, or at least, I don't know about exclusively, but pretty darn close to it. In the spring, Jamie Robinson – 
who again is more of that hybrid safety cornerback type. You know, a year ago, bud, they they wanted like a hybrid linebacker safety in that role, and they, and they put Amari Gaynor in it, Kalen Deloach, both fast coverage linebackers. But by the end of the year, they transitioned it to be more of a safety cornerback hybrid. Uh, and in the spring, so we saw Jamie Robinson in that role almost exclusively. Kevin Knowles, who is more of just a straight up nickel cornerback. Yeah, kind of if you think about the the old like 1990s like way NFL teams, you know, when that that version of a nickel wasn't the big nickel, wasn't a hybrid spot. It was just a five foot ten, five foot you know, nine, quick twitchy little guy who can guard the slot and guard in space. That's what Kevin Knowles is. Uh, so they experimented with that a ton in the spring, and I think the allocation of scholarships, like I mentioned earlier, uh, they added uh, two to three grad or grad transfer type of guys, transfer types uh, in the in the secondary, and then I think they added was it four or five freshman uh as a secondary so yeah clearly they are expecting to utilize more defensive backs than they did a year ago and given that that position group had a lot of struggles and injuries i think they want to make sure they weren't ever shorthanded again there were times last year they were running nickel but with just three healthy scholarship defensive backs on the roster or cornerbacks on the roster like they, they, they were thin so uh they're definitely going to that more often i think mike norvell realized last year that the, the acc was uh, going to be you know when you're at memphis there's a lot of spread teams in the in the aac uh but there's also navy and there's teams that run like more power concepts too and there's such a smorgasbord of different styles in the aac compared to the acc uh like you said i think your, your observation is correct uh, everyone's at least some variation of the spread for the most part so uh, they are countering that by trying to get faster in the secondary and faster with that you know that hybrid spot and and i think I think that's the right way to go. That's something that Jimbo Fisher had a ton of success with at Florida State and in the ACC, and I think that's probably probably the route to go for for Mike Norvell and Adam Fuller as well. Brennan, I don't know if it was your goal, but I think you kind of have me convinced to be a little bit more a little more positive on this team. Um, I mean, like it, they bringing in all this experience and having actually a year where they can practice together and have a, have a real off season together. It's not a COVID off season. I, I could see them returning to a bowl. Like you're, we're not projecting anything absolutely insane here, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though it is a very difficult schedule, this is it's been really informative, guys. If you want more on Florida State, subscribe to Nils Twenty Four Seven. Message boards are great. You get Sanone, you get Knee, you get Newberg, even Zach Blostein. Where, where, where can they follow you on Twitter? At B Sanone, B S O N N O N E. All right, guys. This has been the Around the Clock series on Covered Your College Football Podcast. Appreciate it.